11. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along right there in the bulletin. And you can keep that in front of you because we'll be uh, referring to the text as we go along during the teaching. So hear the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters. For you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree, tree falls, there it, will be, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with, a, with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. And we come here needing for you to speak to us because we want your word to shape uh, how we act in the world, how we think about you, how we think about ourselves and each other. And so we need your word to be light, to bring light into the darkness of this world, the confusion of this world. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to your word. We ask that you'd send your spirit to instruct us. And may the the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are uh, coming to the end of our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been looking at it the last uh, four months or so. And uh, this, we have this passage there on Christmas Eve, we'll look at uh, chapter 12. This is the end of Ecclesiastes. And as I've mentioned, Ecclesiastes is a meditation on how everything under the sun, that's the phrase it uses to say, everything that God's created, everything in this creation that's been tainted by sin, is havel. Havel is a Hebrew word that is translated here vanity, but it literally means vapor. Everything is vapor. Life is a mist. It just kind of blows away. Pleasure does not satisfy us. Justice is so often absent in, in the world and among the nations. So much of what we want and we desire in the world, it just evades us. And life is just, generally speaking, out of our control. And it's, the wise person understands that this is the way the world is, that the world is vapor. We learn, we learn to understand that. And this is summarized a couple chapters back. Chapter 9, verse 11 says this. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Life is unpredictable. It's time and chance. And then it says here in, in verse 5, as you do not know the way that the Spirit comes 
to the bones in the womb, uh, the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And what this tells us is that our lives cannot be controlled by us, both because they're simply subject to time and chance, but also because God has these mysterious ways. God's ways are not our ways. And what he's going to do in his world and what he's going to do with our lives, we don't even know what those things are, and, and, and we can't control them, we can't control him, we can't control his world. And you might think, that, then what's the point of doing anything? If you can't control everything, everything's going to happen to time and chance. If the world is constantly going to frustrate us, why care about anything? Why try to accomplish anything when time and chance are eventually just going to destroy whatever we care about? Well, Ecclesiastes tells us to respond to the vapor in a different way than that. It, says, it doesn't say, don't care, don't do anything. Instead, it says, you have to live a life of risk. It's the only way you can live. If the world is subject to time and chance, and this gives you license to take risks because you don't actually know what's going to happen. And you never know what will happen. And you have to live that way because actually if you don't live a life of risk and, you know, step out into situations where you don't have control, if you just sit there and do nothing, guess what's going to happen? Time and chance is still going to get you. <laughs> you can't run away from it. It gets the person who's sitting there and the person who's stepping out and taking risks. It will get you. Uh, you are not making yourself safe from the vapor by not risking. Um, you're not safe from the frustrating and unpredictable world. So if time and chance is going to get you anyway, might as well go out swinging, is what Ecclesiastes tells us. And so you see this here in verse 1. Look at what it says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. And the picture here is are these ships that are going out on these commercial voyages. And it's saying, you know, if you want to make some money, you've got to put your money, your bread, on these ships and send them out. And, you, you know, you've got to make this investment. And, of course, you know, don't put all your money on one ship. You should put it on seven or eight ships because one of the ships might sink because disasters happen on the earth. So you can diversify your portfolio, it says. But you need to take risks, wisely take risks. But this is the only way to live life in the vapor. It's the only way. And so this morning, uh, we have five insights on risk, on a life of risk from Ecclesiastes. And this is what they are. Five Five things to learn. Risk demands decision. Risk demands work. Risk demands joy. Risk demands godliness. And risk demands the gospel. Five things. Decision, work, joy, godliness, and the gospel. And uh, so hopefully you, there will be some things, whatever you're facing in your own life, hopefully God has some, some words for you this morning. So first... First point is that risk demands decision. That's the, maybe the most crucial kind of part of taking a risk is you've got to make a decision. You've got to do something. And this is what verse 3 says. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And what these verses are saying is that the weather 
you can't control. Weathermen have a hard time predicting. It's supposed to have snow on Christmas Eve, so they better be right on that one. But uh, generally speaking, you can't, right? We don't even know what the weather's, weather's coming. Or, you know, when a tree falls down, it, it generally doesn't fall in the convenient place or at the convenient time. That's when trees fall down. And so what this says is that there is never a perfect time to do the important things in life. There's never a perfect time. One commentator says, Few great enterprises have waited for ideal conditions. No more should we. And so for many of us, the reason why we don't take risks in our lives is because we are waiting for everything to be perfect before we make a decision. We never end up making a decision because this situation is not perfect. And uh, generally, when we desire that conditions are perfect, everything's lined up, it's very clear to make a decision, what we're actually desiring is control. I want to be certain that when I make this decision, I know what the outcome's going to be. I want to take away the risk. And so, which is actually say, I want control of the future. And Ecclesiastes is insistent upon, you will never have it. If anyone has control, it is God alone, and he is mysterious, and he does not tell us what his ways are. We will never have that control. And so this passage says, he who observes the wind, he who's trying to calculate the weather, will never end up sowing anything. They'll never end up acting and doing something. Uh, One of the things my dad uh, told me over and over growing up, make a decision and live with the consequences. Make a decision and live with the consequences, which on the one hand says it forces you to make a decision, but also built into that saying is there's going to be consequences. Something is going to go wrong. There are going to be obstacles. There's no way to avoid it. There's no perfect conditions. And so you just have to make a decision. And you know what? When those obstacles come, you'll get over them. You'll figure it out. (laughs) Just do it. Just act. And this is the only way. And actually, this passage... Uh, It's especially written to young people. You see that there in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And uh, many young people in our generation are trapped in indecisiveness. What major am I going to take? What job am I going to take? What, who am I going to marry? Is this the right person? I'm not sure if they're exactly right. And I've got to figure it all out. And there's a tremendous amount of anxiety about making decisions. And people are you know, floating through the whole decade of their 20s, never really making a clear path or decision about their life. And, of course, there's a few reasons for that. Some of that is because in, in this generation, my generation, we don't have any roots in understanding who we are. You know, we don't fewer and fewer people know the Lord and know the scriptures and have a sense of like, oh, I have a purpose in life to obey and to serve him. I I know what I believe in. I know that my life is about glorifying God. We don't know those things. And so it's very hard to say, how how do I make any decisions in life? But this is actually true for young Christian people as well. Um, Kevin DeYoung is a, is a pastor in Michigan. He wrote a little book called, uh, he has, he has a church in Michigan filled with college students and he wrote a book for them called just do something. And the book is basically, okay, stop waiting for God to give you a sign, give you an impression that this is the exact path that he wants you to follow. This is, you know, a halo on the person that you should marry. Stop looking for a sign. You just need to go and do something. And for most Christians, when Christians are saying, I've been praying and asking God to show me whether this is the right path, what they're asking God to do is to show them the future. Give me control. Make it Make me sure that what's going to happen is going to be good. Take away the risk. 
of making this decision. And Ecclesiastes says that's not how God wants us to live. Does he want us to pray for wisdom? Yes. Does he want us to talk to other people and ask for wisdom? Does he want us to weigh the options and see you know, what makes sense? Absolutely. But um, taking a risk always involves finally making a decision. And you won't ultimately know what the future is. This is what life in the vapor is about. But there's also a next step. You have to make a decision, true. But also, because as Christians, we are um, so, uh, so insistent to receive a word from the Lord about what our path is going to be. We anticipate that once God shows me what I'm supposed to do and I make the decision, then what I will experience is just blessing, just good things. Everything will work out right because this is what God told me to do. But actually, this is not how the Bible says our life works um, because uh, after we make a decision, the second thing that Ecclesiastes says about risk is that risk demands work. After you make a decision, there are going to be all kinds of obstacles and you're going to have to face them. You're going to have to work through them. It's going to be difficult. You have to grit your teeth a little bit. This is what verse 6 says. In the morning, sow your seed... And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, what this is describing is a farmer who's finally, you know, is sowing. He's going to be doing his work. He's going to plant the field. Doesn't know what the weather is, is going to be. And so there's a little bit of fear when you make that decision of, I'm not sure how things are going to work out. And that little bit of fear is actually good, this passage says. Because a little bit of fear causes you to work hard. You say, you know, if I don't get after this, this is, things are not going to prosper. And, you know, I've heard that with Christians who have said, you know, I prayed about this decision, and it seemed like God had made it clear to us this is, this is where we were supposed to go, and then it was so hard once we got there. And the question was, well, were you expect, did you plan to work? Is that possible that God, that's what God wanted, is that he wanted us to work? And, and really have to um, uh, put in our laborers, put in sweat. And everything worth risking for takes a tremendous amount of work. Right? If you start a business, that's a big decision. Take that leap. I'm going to take that leap. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to take the risk. But guess what? It doesn't just start with that decision. You've got a whole lot of work. You've got a whole lot of creativity, a whole lot of obstacles you've got to face. And be prepared that I'm going to have to do that work. And... Um, this, in this passage where it says, you do not know which will prosper, says that there's that little bit of fear that's driving that work. Actually, I saw, some of you know that show, Shark Tank, which is a, this show where a number of billionaires have these young, you know, entrepreneurs who are just starting a business come before them and pitch this business that they're trying to start so that the billionaires will invest in it. And I saw one guy on there, he'd, he'd invented an app that was for valet parking uh, at restaurants, that in, and he had you know, developed a business in, uh, in Virginia or something like that. And one of the guys was asking him about, well, what do you think about your competitors who are going to come in? They're trying to take you out. And he said, oh, you know, they're not a big deal. I'm not worried about them. He's like, you're not worried about them. You don't have that little bit of fear that is driving you to say, I better work my tail off or this is not going to work. He says, if you don't have the fear, I'm not willing to invest. It's because you don't have that little sense that's going to push you that I better work or this isn't going to work. And, uh, you know, that's how big decisions are. That's how marriage is. You say, well, it's a big decision. I'm finally getting married. But guess what? When you get married, 
you're gonna, there's a ton of work in the relationship. And you've got to learn about each other. You've got to learn how to be married, how to communicate. There's a lot that goes into it. So risk always involves this, this work that's going to go alongside it. And, you know, there's a, um, a fascinating proverb, Proverbs 26, 13. This is what it says. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. It's interesting. The sluggard, the lazy person, is always talking about some lion in the street. They're like, I can't go outside. I can't go work because there's a lion that's going to eat me up if I go out there. It was this really interesting proverb that says that most people who say that they won't act because they're afraid are actually people that their problem is not fear. Their problem is laziness. And we think that it's lack of self-confidence that's not pushing us out there. We think it's afraid, you know, I'm st- you know, it's anxiety or something like that. And actually, a lot of the times, it's simply that I'm not willing to work. I'm not willing to put in the sweat that goes into uh, uh, living and, and acting wisely in God's world. And, um, and so risk looks like making a decision and then being ready to uh, get after it and go to work. And there has to be a little bit of fear that's driving that work. Um, it says, I better work harder. This is not going to pan out well for me. But that little bit, bit of fear needs to be far outweighed by a third insight about risk from this passage. And uh, you've probably noticed this is a repeated theme in the book of Ecclesiastes, is that risk demands joy. Risk demands joy. And you see that there in verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And actually, this image of, you know, light is sweet. It's describing a life of joy. It's, it's it, it, the bliss of being alive. And uh, Ecclesiastes is constantly calling us to find reasons to be joyful. Even though the world is unpredictable, even though you can't control the world, even though it's frustrating, find reasons to thank God. Find reasons to find little things, whether it's food, whether it's friends, whether it's something in your work. Find some reason to say, I really enjoy this and I like being alive. Which is to say there should be an element of optimism in us. We have to believe when we take risks and we make decisions. And I'll tell you one reason why this is very important is because, especially if you're ever starting something, that's oftentimes when we take big risks. You start something, whether you start a business, you start a ministry, you start a home group or something. Whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, you start something. You have to get other people involved in what you're doing. And, you know, you've made this decision. It was a hard decision. You prayed about it. It was like, all right, I took the leap. And now I'm putting all this work in. I'm laboring. I, I am fully invested. And then you're, there's often going to be this expectation that because you're so invested, because you're so excited, you're so passionate about this, that everyone else should be so excited and passionate about it, which they may or may not be. And they may or may not be called to be a part of, of whatever, uh, whatever you're doing. And... What ends up happening is that when we expect that other people are going to be all in, and they're not, we start to ask, why aren't you, we get frustrated. And then we begin to have a little bit of fear about, like, what if no one wants to be all in on this? And then we start putting pressure on people, and we're kind of guilting them to say, you know, this, I'm all in on this, I'm putting a lot of work into this, you should be, if you care about me, you should be all in on this as well. And all of a sudden, now I'm trying to motivate people to be a part of the thing that I'm risking for through guilt and through fear. This is true when you start anything. 
And people can smell desperation. And they, the desperation, the insecurity, they're going to back away from. But when there's a sense of joy, there's just excitement. There's a warmth. I'm just excited about what I'm doing. There's a carefreeness. You know, I'm kind of wild. I'm taking this risk. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm excited about it. Actually, that kind of carefreeness is, is actually people can feel free to enter into that because they're not being pressured into it. And, you know, one of the things, one of the places this shows up for us as Christians is in sharing our faith. Right? You know, that's one of the things that's kind of the biggest risk is being a Christian. I'm going to talk to another person about Jesus. And this is something that I made a big decision about in my life to be a Christian. And it's something I put a lot of work into. I read my Bible out. I go to church. And I'm, it's a big time commitment. And I want other people to be a part of that. And we can begin through kind of fear and guilt and pressure, kind of c- causing people to come into what we want instead of, saying, you know, we just have a carefree joy in knowing Christ. We want to share it with people. They want to hear about it. We want to tell you about it. You want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. But, you know, it's out of my hands. That is, that is endearing to people. People will come into that. They will start that conversation. And so the question is, how do you have that kind of carefree spirit of joy, no pressure, when you've made such a big risk and a big decision, you're working so hard on something? How do those two things come together? Well, I think... The answer is that we have a robust view of the sovereignty of God. That God's in control of everything. I can't control everything. I can't control other people. And you know, this is true. I learned this, we, you know, being a church planner, starting this church. You know, many of you, when I first met you, I'm like, oh, man, I really like them to be in the church. You know, how do you get them to be in the church? And is it going to be like, I'm going to put the pressure on? And, 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 you know, very quickly to just, God taught me to realize he knows his purpose for all of you. I don't know what his purpose for all of you. It may be to be a part of our church. It may be to be somewhere else. I don't know what that is. And my job is to love people. My, love is to preach the, my job is to preach the gospel and trust what God is going to do in others to bring them to be a part of, of you know, whatever we're starting, whatever we're doing. This is not just true in churches. This is true in businesses. This is true in any idea that you have that's, that's how people come and be a part of it. It's, it's an infectious joy that they are attracted to. And what this tells us is that whatever the things we risk for, that we're so invested in, we're so passionate about, cannot be ultimate things. God and his sovereign purposes is the ultimate thing. And our passions are a secondary thing. And you see that here in this passage. It, it causes us to temper our passion about whatever we're doing. Look at verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Whatever this thing is that I'm passionate about, I'm excited about, I want to get people on board with, I need to remember it's still vapor. It's still a mist. And so that tempers the pressure I'm putting on other people. Okay? And so what all this tells us is that a big part of risk is my character, my emotional life that goes into the, the risk that I'm taking in my life, how that relates to other people. And this leads to a fourth insight about risk from this passage. It says that risk demands godliness. It's important that we are, as we are risking, that we are risking in ways that honor the Lord. And you see this again in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, 
And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. I, I love this verse because basically it has this whole thing about, you know, follow your heart. You know, you're a young person. You have all these dreams. You have these ambitions. You want to be creative. You want to make an impact on the world. It says, do it. Go out and do it. Take risks. Be ambitious. Venture out there. Cast your bread on the waters. You know, and it's this celebration of kind of that youthful spirit. But it says, while you're doing all that, keep in mind you're going to be judged for whatever you do. So um, you must have a sense of godliness that goes along with all your creativity and ambition. You have to have core convictions, core values. Certain things that you say, even though I'm going to take risks, even though I'm going to try to create something, even though I'm going to be ambitious, I have certain principles that I will not budge on. These are the things that define me. And even, even though the world's, you know, out of control and I gotta, you know, I never, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future, these are things that I will stand by no matter, what, no matter what happens. And just, you know, to say one other thing about our church, our church was really started by four couples. This is why I was still in seminary. There were four couples who for a year desi- desired that to see a church in Bellingham, a new church that they want to be a part of. And so what they did was uh, they, every month they met together and they prayed. And they prayed, they said, God, would you give us a church? And Lord, we want to see people reach in Bellingham. And we want a community that's formed together. And they prayed. And what they were doing was they were laying a foundation for a church to say, this is a church that's about God and God's work. It's not about man's work. It's about God's work. It's what he's doing. And it defines a whole community. It's these principles, these convictions that um, undergird everything that we do. And this is what uh, Derek Kidner says about this passage. Perfect freedom... Perfect freedom, being creative, you know, venturing out, taking risks. Perfect freedom must have a goal worth reaching, a well done to strive for, to find fulfillment. Our risks must always keep that God is the Lord of all in mind, whatever we're doing. Okay? And so that leads to a fifth aspect about risk. Um, so we've seen that risk demands decision, work, joy, godliness. And lastly, risk demands the gospel. And, you know, you saw in this passage that it talks about judgment and in, in, with regard to taking risks. And for me, this reminded me of one of Jesus' famous parables, the parables of the talents, uh, which some of you might know is a story that Jesus told is about a, a rich master who was going to go on a journey, and he left five talents. A talent was 20 years' wages, with one, so this is 100 years' wages, he left with one of his servants. And he said, I'm going to go for a while. I want you to manage this money for me. And then there was another guy. He gave him two talents. And another guy, he gave one talent. And then he went on a journey. And then when he, while he was on, when he came back, he asked them, hey, what did you do with my money? How much money you got now? And the first guy with the five talents said, well, I cast my bread on the waters. I sent it out. I invested in it. I took risks with your money. And it turns out, look, I doubled your money. And the second guy with the two talents, he said, me too. I, I risked and I you know, invested your money. And I cast my bread on the waters. And now I doubled that as well. And then the third guy said, you know, I was so afraid of you. I was so afraid when you came back to judge and to, to, to evaluate what I had done with what you entrusted me that I buried it in the ground. And here it is for you. I did nothing with it. And this is what the master uh, says to him. But his master asked him, 
You wicked and slothful servant, you, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from me and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which is a surprising verse, because when you think about judgment, when you think of God as a judge, we always think in terms of like, oh, I better not take a misstep, because if I make it take a misstep, he's going to pounce on me and judge me for, you know, so it should make us very conservative, and we shouldn't do anything lest the judge come upon us. And this says the actual the opposite. He says that if we don't step out, we don't risk potential missteps. That's the thing that is uh, more troubling to the Lord. But you might ask, well, what, what does that have to do with the gospel, though? The good news of the gospel. What does risking have to do with the gospel? Well, you look at this passage, and who's the risking one? It's the master. He entrusts to his servants a hundred years' wages. And, you know, you look at the gospel, and what, is God, what risk does God take with us? When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, he doesn't just die for the sins that you did before you were a Christian. He dies for all the sins you will ever do in your whole life. He just, he just says to you, all the sins you're going to do in the future, I, they're all forgiven. They're all covered by my blood. You were covered by my righteousness. And he knows that one of the things you're going to do with that is you're going to say, well, Jesus is just going to forgive me. I'm going to go on sinning because he'll just forgive me. And you will do that. All of us have done that at some point. And you know what he does? He does forgive us. It's an incredible act of risk to give so much grace and so much freedom and so much forgiveness to us because it's the only way to draw out love from us. And of course, you know, the whole act of Jesus becoming a baby, you know, we're in Christmas time. Jesus becoming a baby. He's trusting Mary to teach Jesus about, you know, how to talk and how to read and about the scriptures. And it's said that he grew up as a little boy and he had to learn all these things. Tremendous amount of risk. And then God starts his church and entrusts it to leaders who are sinful and frail and finite. And and they make all kinds of mistakes, and they sin, and he lets it happen. And risking is what our God does. It's, it's what his grace is, is this tremendous risk, in a sense, to see what, see what will happen. And, and so it is because of God's reckless-seeming risking that we, too, become a risking people. And so uh, questions for us this morning. What are the things that you are not risking in your life? You're unwilling to make a decision about. The decision is before you. You're waiting for perfect conditions. And that's, the perfect conditions won't come. Or maybe you didn't know that you were going to have to work. You didn't know that there were going to be obstacles, that you were going to have to push through. And the, the, when the decision came, maybe that was what God wanted you to do. And it was going to be hard as well. But also that when we take risks, it must come from a spirit of joy as we invite other people to be part of it. We have to trust in God's sovereignty and have certain principles that guide us. But ultimately knowing that uh, God is a risking God. And as we become like him, we will be a risking community. And we will take risks for God's glory 
and for the good uh, of this church, the good for our neighbors, good for our families. May God make us that kind of people. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for the great risks you have taken on our behalf in the gospel to forgive all of our sins when we are not people that should be considered trustworthy and yet you have trusted us that we might learn freedom and learn what it is to live in your love. We thank you uh, for the risk of, of entering into our miseries and, uh, and also the, the risk